Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Here's what I want to talk about these next two weeks in this series, because every year we do this, we come around, it's just a good time to talk about this whole idea of generosity and how to be generous with all of our stuff, including our money. And so what I wanna talk about is teaching you to do something that most people think they already know how to do. And I said this last week, like that sounds a little arrogant, so just go with me for a second. I'll try to explain what I'm talking about because um, what I'm gonna talk about, it's so easy to kind of get confused about the fact that because we give we're generous, but because we give does not automatically mean that we are generous. Because come on, everybody gives. Like most of you are decent human beings. You're great people. You wanna contribute to the problems of humanity. So there's random acts of giving. You're kind, you give money away. All of us do that for the most part. But just because we give, it may not mean that we're actually generous as Jesus describes generosity. So for the next two weeks, what I wanna teach you how to do, and again, just go with me for a second. I wanna teach you not to do something, but I wanna teach you to be something. And when Jesus talks about generosity all throughout the scripture, that's what he's talking about. It's not an act, it's literally a part of who you are, specifically if you're a follower of Jesus. Now, here's the thing about generosity. Generosity, like true generosity, supersedes random acts of giving, as amazing as those are. It supersedes cash flow, it supersedes amount, it supersedes income. Like none of those things generally are a factor. Like we think they are because a lot of times our, our generosity is dependent on those things. But here's what you will find about truly generous people. They are just generous because they're generous. And they have learned, and this is my hope for you, is they have learned literally to build their life and their lifestyle around generosity. And when you do this, even though it is not normal, it is not intuitive. In fact, what we're gonna talk about for these two weeks, this week and next week, I'm just telling you, there's not a lot of people around you who are doing this. So it's not intuitive. It is not normal. And we can be deceived by, because we give some money away or give some time away that we're truly generous when we may not be. But this is a little crazy if you follow Jesus into this. But I'm just telling you, if you take Jesus, seriously, it has the power to benefit your life in ways that you can't even imagine. So how do you literally build your lifestyle, organize your life around this? Now, I get it, I said this last week. If you're like, church and stuff, church and money, I'm out, like I have a lot of baggage around this, that's fine. Many of you don't do anything I say any of the other weeks anyway, so just continue to do that and go your way, chill, it's fine. So, because I'm not trying to get anything from you and neither is God, that's not the point of this, but I want something for you and Jesus, as he talks about in this in the New Testament, wants something for you and this will make your life better. Now, here's the thing. The thing that actually is talked about in the scriptures more than anything else is money. Like again, not because God needs your money, he's good, but because this has such a powerful hold on our lives. And what's interesting to me is there's maybe no more thing that undermines our happiness more than how we handle money and stuff. 
In fact, if you sit in the seat of like a counselor on staff or if you're a part of our pastoral staff that does some counseling, like the number one issue every year in terms of marriages that are blowing up, it's money. Like it's one of the major issues. And yet I think it's the teaching that we ignore the most in the scripture, even though there's more written about money than there is heaven and hell combined. Now, here's the thing I think all of us can get around. I mean, whether it's money or not, you can put up a host of issues. All of us have seasons of our life where we can look back and we were so sure about something that it was going to make us happy only in hindsight to realize that not only did it not make us happy, it undermined our happiness. Like all of us have season to go, man, I was so sure that that was gonna make me happier, that was gonna give me peace or that was gonna make things better. And it did anything but, in fact, it may have made things worse, which this is just side note. It means that we should not believe everything that we think. You should not believe everything that you think because as amazing as you are, you are wrong often about, I thought this is gonna make me better and it did not make me better. In fact, it made things worse. We said this before, like all of us are public enemy number one for our lives. Now, I'm not saying you haven't been hurt and let down by other people, you absolutely have, but nobody has the potential to undermine your own happiness and your own peace and your own future like you do. And that's true of me too. So you can't believe everything that you think. And this is especially true with money. And for most of us, we have this idea of like, there is some kind of connection and correlation between our stuff, our money and our happiness. In fact, anytime that you sit in church because nobody gave you a heads up of what they were talking about, you wouldn't have come. But when you get stuck in a message, you're like, oh, church talking about money. And they start to go, hey, money's not gonna make you happy. Let's just be, be honest. Every single time you're like, but you should try me. Like, I, I hear what you're saying, and that's what you're supposed to say, but just try me. Like, I would like to figure out or have the potential on my own to decide if it's gonna make me happy or not. And so here's, here's what I wanna tell you to just be completely upfront. There is a correlation. Like, there is totally a correlation or can be a correlation between your stuff and your money and your happiness. Your stuff, your money, and even your peace. But here's the thing. It's not around the word that we think. Even if we don't say it, we think it intuitively. It's not around the word more. All of us think, if I just had more, if I just got there, if I just reached that benchmark, if I could just get that promotion, I'm not... I'm not thinking that money is the solution to everything, but I'd have a little less stress. I'd have a little less anxiety. I'd have a little more peace. Things would be a little bit more better if I could just get more. So let me ask you a couple questions real quick. How much more money would you need to enjoy your life and be happy? Like, what's the number? Like, how much more money would you need to enjoy life and to be happy? Now, here's the thing about happy people, people that have joy. We shy away from the word happiness, but actually all throughout the scripture, there's this famous, famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus over and over again is blessed. Are The literal Greek translation of blessed is happy. People are happy if they do this. So Jesus is not against your happiness. But like, how much more would you need? And the thing that you will find about people who are fulfilled at some level, happy, um, everybody's got problems, but they found a way to have peace in life. It's around that word. They all have peace. They have found a way to have peace with themselves, they found a way to have peace as far as they can with people around them. They've ha they found a way to have peace with God, but every happy, fulfilled person has this one common denominator. They are at peace. So how much more money would it take for you to enjoy life or be happy? And how much, second question, how much more money would it take for you to have peace? Like, what is it? Like, how much more would you need? Like, what's the benchmark for you? Where every other external factor is not that big a deal. You're like, my kids are out of control, but I got a raise. 
Like, like my marriage is an absolute dumpster fire. It's out of control, but I got a promotion. Like, what would it take? Like, how much money would you need to wear all those external factors? Doesn't mean they don't matter, but they're not as important and that you could have peace regardless. Like, what's your answer to that question? And I'll tell you what your answer to that question is. A little bit more than you currently have for all of us. And if you're in your 20s and 30s, you don't believe me. If you're in your, thir- your 40s, 50s, 60s, you wish that you had believed that this was true earlier. And here's the thing about human nature, because you would think that we would get a clue because for some of us, we've lived just long enough where there's been several things that we were chasing down and we actually got them. We actually got to that thing. We got to that benchmark. You're maybe earning more than you ever thought, whatever it is. And then you get there and realize that what you thought it was gonna bring, it didn't bring. Like you don't have that much more peace. You're not that much more happy. And yet then you continue to pursue the next thing. You just think, man, why wouldn't we get a clue? And the answer is because of human nature. We think that no matter how many times it hasn't worked, one more of what doesn't work will work. So it's been 14 times, none of these benchmarks have satisfied the way that I thought, but one more of what doesn't work ultimately will work. And we keep chasing carrots that we can't ever catch. And so Jesus steps into that to talk about, listen, there is a correlation between your money and your happiness, but it is not more. Now, come on, for some of you, you know people with way more money than you and they're not happy. And then others of you online, listening via unfiltered radio, uh, watching us live right now, you're in the house. Like there's people who have less money than you and they're way happier than you. Like they enjoy their life, it seems like. Again, it doesn't mean they don't have problems, but their kids get along, their family likes hanging together. And then you've got way more money. Like you're trying to take your teenagers to a vacation to the Bahamas and your kids don't wanna go with you. They wanna go with their friends to a KOA campground. And you're going like, what do I have to do? Because there is not a correlation between happiness and fulfillment and peace and more. It doesn't exist. And here's the thing, like, and I'll get into it here in just a second. I think the thing that like, kind of frustrates me the most is for most of us, when I get to the end of this, you'll agree with what I'm saying. Like there's not gonna, not gonna be a lot to disagree with unlike a lot of my other messages. You're gonna agree with a lot of what I'm saying. And yet if there is some way that we could get this from our head to our heart, it has the potential to change everything. And if you just don't hear anything else I say, I'm just telling you, this can make your life better. If you're a skeptic, a cynic, you're investigating, we have so many every week. Here's what I challenge you to do if you're still, I don't know about all of this. You should just apply some of what Jesus teaches specifically around this issue because it may lead you to some other truths because it just works. Jesus is smart and your life will be better. So here's what Jesus says as he steps into all of that. And I'll get to the verse in just a second, but he basically says that money and happiness, there is a correlation, but it's not around the word more, it's around the word managed. It is not how much you have, it is how you manage what you have. And money can contribute to your peace, even your fulfillment, even your happiness, if you manage it well. Now here's the thing, just real quick. Anything that undermines your peace ultimately will undermine your happiness. And so if you mismanage your money, you ultimately undermine your peace no matter how much money you have. In fact, Jesus in the New Testament talks about this, that if you don't learn to manage your money well, ultimately your money will manage you. And when your money is managing you, you do not have peace. And I'll tell you why you don't have peace. 
because you feel out of control. When you're not managing your money, but your money is managing you, like you get surprised at the end of the year where it all went. When your money is managing you, you feel out of control. And this is just true about any area of your life. When you feel out of control, you feel anxiety. And when you feel anxiety, you're not at peace. You're not happy. And you just think, well, I need to get more to solve this, but it's not an issue of more. It's an issue of manage, whether you got 30,000 or 430,000 income or how much stuff you have or how big your house is or how small it is, is irrelevant. And Jesus says, listen, this is the way to maintain and manage your peace and ultimately your happiness. So here's what Jesus says. He deals with this. It's so brilliant. If you're a skeptic, just read this and take some of it seriously because it will help you. It'll make things better. Jesus talks about this whole idea and he's going one direction in this text and then takes a hard right because he's trying to lead us somewhere. And I'm just telling you, I'm not overstating this. It's so brilliant. Here's what Jesus says in Luke 16, 13. Are you with me online? Are you with me in the house? Here's how Jesus says it. And you've heard this before, right? <clears throat> no one can serve two masters. And you're like, okay, but this is where you gotta con you know, contextualize. This is the first century. I kind of do what I want. And then you get a credit card bill. And Jesus is like, no, it still applies. No one can serve two masters either. And this is intentionally extreme language by Jesus to make a point. No one can serve two masters either. He's gonna hate the one or he's gonna love the other. And then he says this, or you will be devoted to the one and you'll despise the other. And then he talks about these two masters. You'll be devoted to one, you'll despise the others. You cannot, it's a huge word, serve both God and money. Now, most of you have heard that verse, even if you haven't been around the church before, like you've heard somebody quote it probably out of context, but like you've heard it before and you know how it ends. But if you didn't have any information, if you didn't know how it ends, if you didn't have any context, this is really surprising what Jesus says. Cause you think, okay, if you are gonna stack up two enemies, one here and one here, you're thinking it's God and sin. It's God and like the devil, it's God and evil. Like those are, that's where the conflict is coming around. And yet Jesus, as he's dropping this truth is like, listen, you can't serve both God and your stuff. And the Greek word is, is just mammon. It just means stuff, the stuff you have, the stuff you want, the stuff ultimately you'll get, but it's a broad category. It's your money, but it's far more than that. He's like, you can't serve both God and your stuff. And Jesus is like, as big a deal as evil is, as big a deal as like the devil is or what sin and whatever else you wanna stack up. Listen, th those things, those things are like, they're, they're a little more out there. They're, they're a little more on the surface. Those are easy to spot. This is a little more subtle, but Jesus says all throughout the New Testament, this, this thing right here, this dynamic, it's actually the chief competitor for your heart. More than all of those other things, as extreme as those are, and Jesus is like, you just need to know it. It's actually the chief competitor for your devotion. And our pushback is like, I don't know, man. Come on, like, I'm not, I don't serve my stuff. I don't love my money. And Jesus is like, hang on. Because there may be something that you're missing. And so he says, no one can serve two masters. And again, how he, how he teases this out, so brilliant. Either you're gonna hate the one or you're gonna love the other. And again, you're like, well, I don't love my stuff. And Jesus is like, I'm not done. You're either gonna hate the one or love the other, or you will be devoted to. Okay, what do you mean about Jesus love my stuff? I mean, you're devoted to your stuff. 
you will either be devoted to the one or you will despise the other. And so Jesus is like, if you wanna know what I mean by this, because nobody thinks this applies to them, but Jesus is like, it applies to you. It applies to all of you. I'm talking about this whole serve your stuff, love your money. I'm talking about be devoted to, as in you have a strong attachment toward. Oh crap. Like it's what you see. It is like the thing that is your pursuit. It is, just listen for a second, your primary decision-making filter. Jesus is like, that's what I'm talking about. And it may be uncomfortable, but you're pretty devoted to your stuff and your desire for your stuff. And you may not bow down to it. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about some extreme thing. It's much more subtle than that. You may not bow down to it, but your devotion to your money and your stuff, if you were to measure that up against how you measure devotion with anything else in your life, if you have the same standards for how you measure devotion, you may have to determine that you are at least pretty devoted to your stuff and the acquisition of your stuff. Jesus is like, that's what I'm talking about. So let me ask you a couple more questions and several of these are no brainers. So I'm setting you up, you know that. But here's a couple questions. The first one is this, has your desire to acquire ever caused you to do something? The answer is yeah. Like you've desired something, not wrong, but you want it, you desire it. And then that desire led to you acted on it. You purchased, you followed through, you did whatever. So second question, has your desire to acquire ever caused you to do something stupid? And I'm not calling you stupid. There's no comma like, has it ever caused you to do something stupid? And I'm not saying you're stupid. I'm saying, has it ever caused you to make a stupid decision? And the answer is yes. Like I have one, it's perfect, it works. I just need another one. Like I have one, it's fine, it's newer, it's upgraded. I don't even know how it's upgraded, but it's upgraded and everybody's got one, I need one. I stood in line, I pitched a tent, I'm insane. Like I just have to have it. Like all of us have done that. I'm not calling anybody out. I just, it's probably part of your story. And then the third question is this. Has your desire to acquire ever caused you to do something that you regret? Yeah. Like you had a desire to get something, you wanted something, you wanted to acquire something, you wanted to get some benchmark and you can now look back no matter how much in the moment you thought, this is gonna be better, this is gonna be great. I think this is gonna be good for our family. I think this is gonna give us a little more peace. I think we're gonna be happy if we can just whatever, whatever. And then you made the decision and you look back and go, that was so stupid. I regret that. I wish I could do that over again because in that moment, you had a desire for something that literally created devotion to it. And Jesus would say, your devotion to your desire for your stuff, to get what you want, to satisfy an appetite that may not even be able to be satisfied in that moment when you give into that, you are mastered by that thing. And Jesus, I'm just telling you, is smarter than you think. And he knew that the chief competitor for your devotion and none of us believe this, or at least we don't live like it. And so we're worried about so many other things that Jesus is going, the chief competitor for your devotion and to your heart is your desire to acquire. And when you allow your devotion to a desire, take control, it enslaves you. And when you are enslaved by anything in life, you are not happy and you are not at peace and you are not fulfilled no matter how much you have. Like, that's just true, right? You don't even have to be a Jesus follower. Like, that's just true. It's so obvious. Like, I don't even need to tell you that, but all of us are susceptible and it all centered or centers around this one big word, right? It all centers around discontentment. 
Like the root of all of it is this word discontentment. And discontentment basically ensures that I am never satisfied with what I have because I know what you have and I know what there is to have. And this is never more true than now. I mean, you know, like people are like, you are marketed toward, con- like you click on one thing and then you get bombarded with 7,000 ads for something you weren't even sure if you wanted, but now you feel like you want it because you've seen it so many times. Like we are more aware than ever. You're scrolling through Instagram going, ah, my life sucks, my life sucks, my life sucks. Like I need one. You didn't know it existed 60 seconds ago. And now 60 seconds later, you're like, I have to have this, Right? Like that's what discontentment is, is I'm not satisfied because I know what there is to have. I know what you have and awareness is the thing that always drives discontentment. I am aware and a lot of times because I am aware I want, it doesn't matter if I needed it or not. Didn't matter if I had planned on it or not. Didn't matter that I didn't even know that it existed. I told you last week, like how many things have you bought from Amazon on the fly and you don't know where those things are anymore? And you didn't buy them three years ago, you bought them three weeks ago. Like discontentment is driven by awareness. And here's the thing, greed is then the other thing that drives discontentment, right? So, and I get it, like I'll go, I'll go like real easy here because this is super, like we, none of us like to talk about this, including me, but here's, here's basically the definition of greed or the best one I've ever heard before is this, is it's just the assumption that everything is for my consumption. And see, we don't see greed, like nobody thinks they're greedy. I've sat down in counseling when I used to do that and people would admit all kinds of stuff. They would admit crazy things. They were like, why did you tell me that? Like, all, but nobody would ever, they'll admit everything in the world, but you get to the greed part, like I'm not greedy. Nobody ever thinks they're greedy, but again, greed is subtle. Greed is the assumption that everything is for my, my consumption. So if you have this greed mindset, which is really tough to call out, nobody wants to do that, but it's this thing where I just assume it's all for me. So even when I give something, I feel amazing. And it doesn't matter how much or how little I do it. It's just the fact that I gave it away. And under the assumption that it's all for me is like, how amazing am I that I would give some of my stuff away? And here's the reality is what the scripture teaches. If everything, if you're under the assumption that everything that comes to you is for you, you will use most of it on you. It's a mindset. And here's the thing, money and and specifically this area of greed, it's an appetite. Just like multiple other things in your life are appetites besides just food. You have appetites and here's the nature of an appetite. An appetite is never fully and finally satisfied. And the more that you feed an appetite, this is just the nature of appetites, the appetite grows. And when you are in this place where you have this assumption that it's all for my consumption and the more you feed that mindset, the more that it grows and the more that you feed that desire and devotion for more, the more that you want more. Appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. The more you feed them, the more that they grow. The only problem is they don't stop wanting when the money runs out. They just keep wanting more, they just keep growing. And so awareness, greed, they drive discontentment and then they ultimately lead to this point right here. They ultimately lead you to debt, like they just do. And here's what debt is. Debt basically is wanting, or or actually, you know what debt is. I don't need to teach you what debt is, but here's here's my old idea. The Atlantic, they did a study in 2013, which was incredible, but the bottom line was just kind of this, that wanting something is ultimately better than owing something. But you are gonna have a tension in your life either way. You're gonna have a tension around wanting something because nobody gets everything they want unless you're Solomon in the Old Testament. 
and that's not happening again. Nobody is gonna get everything they want. So you are always gonna live with a tension this side of heaven. There's gonna be one on one side or there's gonna be O on the other side. And all throughout scripture, you just see this. It is better to want something and not get it than to get something and O on it. And here's, here's the thing. Debt is when you become a slave to your desire. And your devotion to that desire leads you to slavery. And you know this, when you're enslaved by anything, there is not enjoyment, there is not happiness because there is no peace. And come on, wanting something, that's between you and God. And it's good to have something between you and God. Owing something, that's between you and a creditor. It's better to have it between you and God than you and a creditor because the scripture is really clear. God sides with the creditor every single time because you're a follower of Jesus. You have to pay what you owe. So it's better to be in that tension, in that dynamic of God, I want this. And come on, you can come to God about it. You can plead with God about it. You can ask God for it. But listen, until he gives the green light where you can actually do it and move forward with it in such a way that you don't trade your peace, it's better to have it between you and God than you and a creditor. It's why every single year a mentor of my suggested this years ago, but my financial goal every single year, I just wanted to be stay out of debt. Just stay out of debt. Everything else kind of takes care of itself, but as much as possible, stay out of debt. And here's the thing that's so crazy. As you get older and as you make more money, you will be more tempted to go into debt. Describe that to a third world country. They're like, what? Here's the thing. If you don't hear anything else, don't trade your happiness and your peace for some acquisition that cannot bring you either. Don't trade because it is the source. As you follow Jesus and go, Jesus, I'm surrendering my life to you, including my stuff and my money. Do not trade an acquisition for happiness and peace when that acquisition is not gonna bring you either of those things. And so come on, discontentment, greed, debt, which one of those things are gonna bring you any joy? Which one of those things are gonna bring you any peace? Which one of those things are gonna to contribute to your happiness in your future? And the answer to the question is pretty easy. Like none of those things, like all of us know that intuitively. And yet we move down that road anyway once we become devoted to our desire. So really the application could just be to stop. Like that's really all you have to say. Jesus made it clear. We don't wanna undermine our own happiness, our own peace. We wanna live differently. Like not just because it'll help other people. That's a big reason we'll talk about that. It'll make my life better. This is not making my life better. So just stop it. But all throughout the New Testament, you see this, that if you wanna know how to connect your money with your peace and your happiness and your enjoyment, you have to lean into Jesus. This is not a non-spiritual issue. Like every other issue on planet earth, it is a spiritual issue. Jesus has something to say about it. And it really requires surrender because the chief competitor for your devotion is your heart. The chief competitor in your relationship with Jesus is your heart. So let me just ask one more time. What amount of money would it take to eliminate your discontentment? What amount of money, how much money would it take to do away with your greed? Let's not call it greed, it's too offensive. Your assumption that everything is for your consumption. And Jesus is really clear. The only thing that can address this is the management of, it is about who ultimately is in control.
And so that's why Jesus says, listen, no one can serve two masters. You're gonna serve, you cannot serve both God and mammon. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and your stuff. And Jesus would say, there is a way to submit your financial world to God to say, I do not want my money to manage me. God, I want you to manage me. Like, I want you to have control of my life. And over time, what you will find is he will begin to replace your misplaced devotion with a better devotion and your life will be better because Jesus is just smart. So last thing, if you took everything that Jesus said about money, I just wanna boil it down to this and we're gonna be done in four minutes and 47 seconds. Like it all comes down to this, basically two main words, all right? So if you're uncomfortable, we are about done. This is the home stretch. You could boil it all down to this, generosity, wisdom. If it just cliff notes on everything Jesus said, I'd love for you to read it yourself, but just take my word for it. Generosity and wisdom, everything about what Jesus says about money comes down to those two things. And, and you probably know this. If you talk to a person who literally, like, again, there's some stuff flies out of control. All of us have those moments where stuff's hitting the fan. We're walking through a season in our world right now where it's crazier than ever. You're dealing with real hardships physically in terms of, of finances. But if you boiled it all down, if you talk to people who at some level enjoy life, have experienced happiness, are following Jesus, you talk to that person and what you will find is they are generous and they are wise with their money. I'm just telling you, they are generous and they are wise with their money. And if you compare contentment or discontentment and greed and debt, there's no competition. Like Jesus' way is just better. And so here's what, like, this is not original with me, but I, if I could just leave you with one thing and then we'll dig down a little bit deeper as we end the series next week. But if I could give you one practical application, give, save, live. Give, save, live. Give off the top first. That's not normal. That's not intuitive. Most people don't do that. They flip it around and they figure out how much they have left at the end of a month or a year and go, oh, I gave that much. And they think I'm amazing that I gave that much 0.008% of my income because they are under the assumption that everything is for, for my consumption. But the Jesus way is no, 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 give first because when you learn to manage your money, you will have peace. You need to tell your money where to go, not the other way around. So give, save, and then live on the rest, whatever that looks like for you. 10, 10, 80, or, or whatever your thing is, give, save, live on the rest. And here's what I promise you. Giving always will result in joy. If you don't believe me, if you begin to order your life around this, you will turn a lot of your stuff into stories. And you'll look back at where some of that money went. And I'm telling you, there is something that moves you and motivates you. Like Jesus was right. It is happier to give than it is to receive. And we don't believe it, but it's true. Giving always results in joy. Saving always results in peace because it leads to peace of mind. And for some of us, we're trying to chase a carrot of peace. And the answer is we need to manage what God has already given us. And then thirdly, living on the rest always results in freedom. As simple as it is, when you don't spend more than you make, the Old Testament and New Testament is really clear. When you live on what you have, you'll be free. And if you're wrestling with the fact that you want more, wrestle with it. Your heavenly father can handle that. Bring it to him, but make sure it stays between you and him until he decides to put more in your hand. But if you chase it outside of the umbrella of his authority and what he has already given you, I'm just telling you, you are trading in your peace. You are trading in your happiness. 
you are trading in your freedom for an acquisition that will give you none of those things. For a lot of us, we're gonna have regrets and we're gonna wish that we could undo some things on the other side. And I'll just tell you, for me, like as I was thinking about this, I would rather enjoy my life and what God's given me and have peace around that and have happiness around that and enjoy my family. I'd rather have all of those things as I try to follow Jesus in this area. I would rather have that than your vacation in your car or your house. And Jesus is going, I'm inviting you into this. And come on, can you imagine for some of us, some of us you have, and you have an incredible story and we have so many extraordinarily generous people in our church, but I wanna keep teaching this every year because it's so paramount to your journey of following Jesus and living life to the full as Jesus describes it. But can you imagine if you had done this for the last 20 years? And I'll tell you what will happen over time. God will replace your appetites with better appetites. The scripture is not about the suppression of desire. It's about the transformation of desire. And that God will literally take your misplaced devotion and desire and direct it in a better place. And it is not the amount of stuff ultimately that is going to lead to your happiness. It is how you manage it. So in 13 seconds, your best option is to trust your heavenly father to manage you. And I don't care what you do, that's another message. But I'm just telling you, if you take this seriously, the ultimate and the desire that God wants every time he invites us into anything, no matter how crazy or counterintuitive it is on the front end, is I want your freedom. I want your peace. There's crap that's gonna happen, but I even want you as far as it is possible. I want you to live a life of happiness and joy, but you have got to follow me. Would you pray with me all over the house? Jesus, I thank you so much for your wisdom. I thank you that you have left us this over thousands of years, which is just a whole nother thought and idea that is absolutely ridiculous and crazy. But you have, and you've preserved it. And there is so much for all of us. I mean, including me, maybe me more than anybody, where it's so easy to walk down a road where you have already made it so clear that you have a better way, you have a different way. And a lot of times it's gonna, bump up against what everybody's doing around us, what is culturally kind of the norm, but it's just better. You're better. What you're inviting us into is better. So wherever we are today, for some of us, like there's just, there's just a bunch of stuff we could look at where we, we have some regret. We thought we knew it would make us happy and it didn't. And we wanna undo some of that and, and we can't in an instant, but I pray you'd give hope that we can sow and reap our way into a better future. For others of us, it's, it's the first time that we've really encountered this truth. And I just pray that we would take it seriously and we would believe with all of our hearts that what you have, what you're inviting us into, it's just better. And I pray during this season, when we get to practice generosity as a church, that we would be extraordinarily generous. And we pray this in your incredible name, the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? 
you can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.